listening to the Simply 127 podcast, an entire podcast devoted to all things James 127. I'm your host, Sarah Beth Fintress, and I'm so excited that you've decided to join us today. Hey guys, this is Sarah Beth with the Simply 127 podcast, and today we have my new friend, Allison. She's going to tell us a little bit about herself. So welcome to the show, Allison. Hi. Yeah. So I am Allison. Um, I am a small town Georgia girl who moved here with my husband, Stephen, to the big city of Wake Forest. No, <laughs> it kind of felt like that for me, though. Um, but I um, go to Open Door Church here, and um, we were driven there for their love for adoption. And since we've been here, we've adopted four kids, all from Uganda, ranging from 15 to 7. Um, and I work now at a small nonprofit in Wake Forest that um, is an adoption center, Frank Adoption Center. Um, and I love it. I love advocating for older kiddos and special needs um, kids around the world. Great, great. Uh, we'll just get right into the, the meat of the story then, and um, I would love for you to share with us how God first stirred your heart for adoption, for the orphan. How did all of this begin in your heart? Sure. Yeah, I think um, that is like a hard question to answer, because I think the Lord builds up our passions over our whole life, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I could point to a thousand things, I think, in my childhood and my family growing up that contributed to it um just kind of being raised in a family that welcoming in those who needed a a space a safe Mm -hmm. space was just the norm for my family um and um so that was just kind of instilled in me as a kid and then as I got older um I had a lot of opportunities to be involved in international missions and I would say probably most significantly, the last two summers of high school, I traveled and um, served in a children's home in Zambia. Um, knowing all that I know now, <laughs> I would go back and do things differently um, mm-hmm. than I did then. Um, but praise God, His grace covers what we didn't know. You know, mm-hmm. know better, do better. I didn't know a lot then. Um, but I was still passionate, still loved the Lord, wanted to love on kids, Um And God was gracious to give me this opportunity. And even though it was imperfectly done, I think that he used um, my time there to just really develop in me this love for Africa, um, which we share. Mm -hmm, For (laughs) Um, sure. And love for kids. And I think specifically older kids, because that's the kids that were living there in this home. We're all, um, you know, elementary and older kids. um, And I just really started to have a heart for ministering to those kids um, and seeing how to work in both family preservation and then in adoption. And I knew from then that I absolutely wanted to have my family that way. Um, So even when like I started dating my husband, Stephen, I was like, hey, that's how I want to be a mom. So if you're not game for it, I don't (laughs) think we're going to work out. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm resonating with so much of what you're saying. Um, 
I, I say of myself, I was kind of ignorant on fire and just the fact that <laughs> God can use you in spite of yes. you sometimes. <laughs> But also, it's also given me a passion to educate and Mm -hmm. be able to speak into people who just are passionate and want to do something. It's like, hey, let's look through, let's read and study and find the best ways. Yeah. I mean, the token is to help without hurting. But um, was there any kind of resource or was it something like just through experience you learned or did you come back and kind of have to retrain on helping uh, in a sustainable way that is not just coming in and being the hero for these poor kids. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I think that probably the most eye-opening change for me was becoming a mom to kids who um, came from hard places and had been uh, served by people like me Mm -hmm. um, who had just come in for short terms and moved along. And I saw the lasting impact that had on my own kids. Um, And Mm -hmm. as I prepared to be a mom through adoption and having to do all this attachment um, studies, I started to see how negatively we actually impact kids when we do these short-term trips um, with with people with good intentions coming in for short short stays and then moving along Mm -hmm. is so damaging to kids. And then the more time I spent overseas, like living in Uganda and things, the more I realized not just are we negatively impacting kids, which is enough of a reason not to do it, but there's already people in these countries who are doing great work Mm. that we really need to support, um, not come in and pretend we can do it better, which is so uh, arrogant, you know, Mm -hmm. like to just assume that you know more about someone's own country and culture because you've spent a week there than the people who live (laughs) there. Right, right. right. Um, I love that like five, four minutes in, we're already chasing a little bit of a rabbit. (laughs) This is something that it is kind of controversial in the orphan care world. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually thinking about having a whole separate episode on I mean, obviously, part of what 127 does is mobilize short-term volunteers. Yeah. And there, I believe there are good ways to do that, and there are unhealthy ways. Yeah. And for me, that what you said is kind of the, the crux of it all is, in, like, working with local people who are there the other 51 weeks mm-hmm. of the year and going more as a, a participant and a observer and a, a student of what's happening so that you can yeah. come and be a voice. We kind of have this idea of, like, exposure trips versus let's go do all these things that they could do for themselves. Right. <laughs> and so right. I'd love just to kind of hear, again, this wasn't really one of the planned questions, but um, what are some of your thoughts on, are there good ways to do short-term missions versus like, how would you caution someone about sure. doing what we did a decade ago, I guess? <laughs> yeah. So I think because my passion and heart is towards like adoption and um, those things, I think I think a lot about, uh, child care centers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's obviously all sorts of missions, but um, when I think about that, um, children's homes abroad, where I think a lot of people go for mission trips. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that it was done um, so differently. Instead of people going and being hands-on with kids, there's already, um, you know, mamas, matrons, aunties, whatever they call them there, mm-hmm. who are there with those kids all the time. But realistically, they're overburdened with Mm -hmm. life. I mean, um, with trying to be a mommy or auntie to 
15 kids or whatever that looks mm-hmm. like for them. Um, and I think that mission trips would do such a better job if they went in and um, asked those those caregivers, what's a way we can lessen your day-to-day burden so that you can spend more time with the kids? Um, and kind of behind the scenes. Yes. Serving. If you go in and you're like, hey, we're going to do all of your laundry and cooking this week so that you spend more time playing with the kids, that would just be such a gift because that's their regular caregivers that they should have a healthy attachment mm-hmm. to. Not you. They shouldn't <laughs> attach to you, you know? Um And I think what happens a lot of times is that Westerners come in and they look so fun and great and everything's happy and perfect when they're here. But that's not how I am Mm -hmm. really daily with my own kids. I don't only play and give out candy. You know, (laughs) I have to go in and do laundry and dishes and all of that stuff. But we come in and look like these magical people who only have fun. And meanwhile, their actual caregivers seem harsh and hard because they're doing all the real stuff. Yeah. So why don't we come in, lighten that burden, do the hard day-to-day um, task and let them have fun and bond with the kids for a week. Yeah. I think that would actually be helpful. Yeah. I love that. And again, you're making the hero, the local people yes. that live there and right. are, are doing the hard work. So I love that. Sorry for the little tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's get back to your personal story. Tell us a little bit. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers about <laughs> what makes your story unique. Um, I guess kind of tying into that, like how other people can learn from the last few years of your journey. So you have to tell us a little bit about the journey and then what makes it unique. Yes, I think uh, we have kind of a crazy story. Um, but when Stephen and I started out on our adoption journey, um, we decided we wanted to adopt um, probably an older kiddo. Um, and we were leaning more towards like a waiting child um, after after some time of learning, I would say. We got to that point and just kind of realizing like um, there are kids already waiting for families and we wanted to pursue that um, rather mm-hmm. than join a list of waiting families. Um, and so we adopted our daughter, Rosemary. Um, she was six off of a waiting child list from Uganda. And then um, shortly after that, we pursued the adoption of another kiddo in her same children's home. Um, and we had a failed adoption there um, that hurt super bad at the time. Um, and in retrospect, we can look back and see that it was good. Um, that child actually was able to return to birth family, um, which is absolutely what we want to promote. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it less hurtful to our hearts, mm-hmm. though, because we loved her. Um, but so that happened. And then um, while we were still kind of dealing with our emotions of that, we were contacted by our agency um, to adopt a little girl who um, was dying from complications of HIV. Um, and we had learned a lot in preparation to adopt about HIV and AIDS and um, had realized how really unscary that diagnosis <laughs> was. Um, I think we're so um, uneducated really mm-hmm. about what that is and it can seem so scary. And then the more we learn, the more we realize that's totally doable for mm-hmm. our family. Um, and so we pursued Daphne um, and she passed away. Um, before we completed our adoption. Um, but I think we are still so thankful for her story and our part in it. Um, 
and one, she taught us so much in her short life and um, the people who rallied around us to help mm-hmm. support her adoption. I think it allowed us to really educate so many people about the the lack of fear really behind mm-hmm. an HIV diagnosis. I love um, that. And so God used that still. Um, and we had just so much comfort and hope in that she never... Um, she didn't die an orphan. She died a very much loved and pursued daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just were so hopeful in that. Um, and then, as we still dealt with the grief of that, our agency called us again to ask us um, if we would consider adopting a little boy um, who they didn't have any families for. We were like, oh, goodness, you know, we're still kind of grieving um, and she asked me, my social worker asked me, can I send you a picture? And I was like, please don't. <laughs> that would, She knew that would seal the deal. <laughs> I did. I was like, please don't, because then I'm going to be all in. Um, but Stephen told me to say yes. So <laughs> I was like, yes, you can send us the information. Um, and then we saw our son Solomon. And so we pursued Solomon's adoption. Um, he really was younger than we ever anticipated our family adopting. Um, It's interesting when we started, when they called us, it was because they had him listed as four, I think, and they didn't have any families waiting for children that age. In reality, he was two and there was just a mistake in the paperwork um, that led to him being ours. It's just crazy for me to hear you kind of say everything at once because it's like you represented different options and you always say yes. I know there probably was some obviously some prayer and struggle through that, but it's just like, yes, led you to the next. Yes. Led you to the next. Yes. Led you to Solomon. (laughs) I love that. You know, that's how kind of God works as you say yes, without knowing the end of the story. Right. Yeah. That's like the scary and beautiful thing of it. Right. (laughs) It's just saying yes without knowing what the outcome is. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So then we, um, pursued Solomon and, Um, I should, I guess, loop back to when we um, adopted Rosemary, we knew that she had older siblings. Um, But unlike her, they were able to be cared for within their family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we just thought, like, we would try to support that. We would try to maintain connection. Um, We had pursued other ways to make sure there was as much family preservation as possible, but that's kind of where it landed. So Are there ways you could help from a distance? Right. Yeah. So um, Rosemary came home. They stayed there, and we were trying to support as much as we could and just keep keep connection. Um, and then when we went back for Solomon, we decided to go visit Rosemary's um, family of origin and just check in with them, let them see how well Rosemary was doing, which we had been sending them pictures and stuff, but see her in person and her to get to see them. So, how old was she at this point? Um, she was seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, we wanted her to get to see her grandparents again. And so um, we drove out to visit them. They live in a very remote village in the mountains. And so um, we drove out and I was alone at this point. Stephen had already returned um to the U.S. And so me and Rosemary and Solomon went out um, with a with a trusted Ugandan friend. And when we arrived um, where I had no cell phone coverage, um, <laughs> I was asked to adopt her two older siblings. And some significant things had changed in their family. And um, they no longer had any caregivers. And so um, 
I was like, oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> this is not what I was expecting. I was just coming here to bring you a goat. Um, <laughs> so, um, a little overwhelmed. Surprise. <laughs> yes. Um, but we, um, I drove back into town so I could call Stephen. Um, and we talked it through, prayed, and we did some investigation, met with several village leaders and things like that to just kind of make sure we understood <clears throat> their real need. Um, and shortly after that, we were granted a temporary foster order and the kids came to stay with me. So that is our oldest two, Molly and Jude, um, who are the biological siblings of our daughter, Rosemary. Um, so they came and stayed with me during the time that we were adopting Solomon in Kampala. And then um, we left when Solomon's adoption was complete, thinking we would run home, update our paperwork and come back for Molly and Jude. And probably talk more about this but it ended up being two and a half years before I was back in Uganda to actually go to court for them um, and pursue their adoption in another 11 months of me living in Uganda with them before they came home and that was um, last summer that they came home so we've been home together for a year. In 11 months of you, your family living on two continents. <laughs> right. Yes. Stephen and Rosemary and Solomon stayed in America, and me and Molly and Jude lived in Kampala. <laughs> wow. I think there's a longer story there than this <laughs> podcast is going to afford. <laughs> yes. I love how vulnerable and transparent Allison is about this journey and what God is teaching her through the process. Continue listening as she talks about family preservation parenting older children, and encouraging people who might just be starting their justice journey. I know we talked a little bit about this before we started pushing record, but um, I'm trying to think of how to condense the question to, I mean, obviously God has taught you a book's worth of things <laughs> through oh, this yeah. process, but he's also grown a passion for you, particularly mm -hmm. with advocating for older children what are some things that, like, now that you know that you wish you had known then or some things that you feel like God's given you kind of an avenue, an inside scoop to be able to educate and raise awareness for other people through this process? Yeah, for sure. A book uh, worth of <laughs> of lessons learned. But I think um, a couple of things I would say, and one is what you referenced earlier. It's just saying that yes and watching God develop that into a bigger story than you could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. um, God simply calls us to obedience and we don't have to know the end. Um, and sometimes the end is scary and sometimes the end isn't what we, we thought it would be. But mm -hmm. God is faithful through all of that. And we have found that God has taken us on far better adventures <laughs> than we could have ever planned for ourselves if we just say yes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's all God has asked of any of us is just to say yes to the thing he's calling us to. Say yes to the thing he's made you passionate about. Um, and that has developed into this incredible family that the Lord has given me. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say first, say yes. <laughs> Do the hard, scary things when you don't know the outcome, when it seems impossible it seems too big to be done. Say yes and trust God with the story he wants to tell you, tell in your life. Um, but then I would also say we learned so much about um, 
how to say, I don't know. <laughs> but um, just changing our perspective on adoption um, in so many ways. But one, um, you know, in promoting family preservation before anything else. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that looks like kids not coming home, mm-hmm. you know. There's a little girl we love very much who's still in Uganda, and that's where she absolutely should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and Just for listeners who might not know, can you, I mean, family preservation is kind of an orphan care term. Sure. Um, elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah. Um, I think that every kid deserves to be in the family that they are born to as much as that's possible, mm-hmm. as much as that's healthy. Um, so I think the work that we need to do is first there is how can we support families so that they can stay together so their kids don't end up in orphanages or so that orphanages are a temporary spot mm-hmm. for for families in hard places and then their kids can come back home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our first work is trying to find a way to do that, to support vulnerable families so that they can stay together. Um, and that's what we would want if we were vulnerable. If I was struggling right now, I wouldn't want someone to come in and take my kids away. I would want mm-hmm. help. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what we need to be doing first. And I've learned so much about that instead of just thinking I'm going to sweep in and help by taking kids away. It's so harmful and wrong, but it is the way that it's been done for a long time. Um, so that, and then family preservation also looks like siblings staying together, Mm -hmm. um, whenever that is possible. So That was a realization for me is how many orphans are just because of poverty. Yeah. But in America, we don't see that as often. And if Mm -hmm. poverty is the only reason a family is not able to stay together, let's figure out ways to infuse income, teach a trade, you know, create sustainable projects, whatever that is, to allow the family to stay together. So, right. The separation, as much as I love adoption and, and for it, the separation of losing your first family is so terrible and tragic Mm -hmm. for kids and if there's any way to prevent that we need to do that yeah and be a part of that yeah um yeah and then for so then also family preservation and sibling groups is that um there's not a lot of families who are open to sibling groups and um large sibling groups often get separated and that's so unfair they've already Mm -hmm. lost first parents they need each other Mm -hmm. and we need to promote that as much as we're able to and what that looked like in our story was that when even though we had no intention of adopting again right (laughs) away um and i was scared to death of adopting really big kids in my (laughs) mind at that point (laughs) um it you was said a yes no again. You know, like, of course we would say yes. Like, Rosemary is our, our daughter, and so her siblings are our kids. Um, and so it just felt like, of course you would say yes to that. How could you not? Um, and, um, yeah, I just think that's so important. Our kids definitely deserve to be together. And that was the thing that drove our fight all along was they deserve to be together. Mm-hmm. Um, I love my siblings. I'm close to my siblings, and I couldn't imagine having to grow up without them. Um, and I'm so thankful now as we look at our kids together. Like, they're each other's secret keepers. They hold each other's stories, and it's so important mm-hmm. that they have each other. Um, and we see it all the more now that they're actually home together. Um, and from the outside looking in, you said another crazy yes and ended up <laughs> 11 months in Uganda. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Um, 
think thinking about that, that yes, and then you don't know. I think that's so much grace from the Lord that he doesn't always tell us what it's going to, what the yes is going to lead to. Because <laughs> I knew on the front end, yes. like I was going to be separated from Stephen and Rosemary and Solomon for 11 months. I would have said no, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, that wasn't the original plan. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it was not. Um, and I think I would have been too scared, but yeah. God's gracious to give us only the peace that he knows he can handle at the time. Mm-hmm. And we just say yes. <laughs> um, so tell a little bit how this has kind of led you to your current position, a little bit about Frank adoptions. I know you yeah. had mentioned maybe wanting to mention some things about that. Yeah. I think from that and just learning to, one, be passionate about family preservation and two, really opening my eyes to the need for families for older kids and how awesome it is to adopt older kids. And I really wanted to be involved in that work. Um, And so coming on to Frank, which is this small nonprofit who really works hard to do adoptions ethically, um, promote family preservation first. um, And then almost all of our kids are older kids. Um, It's very rare for us to have kids under age five Um, so I really enjoy the work that I do there, getting to help those kids who are often overlooked find forever families. Um, and I can feel so good about the work that I do because I know it's done ethically. Um, I know what our, what our heart is behind the adoptions that we do. Um, and so now I work for Frank doing their adoptions from Sierra Leone, Congo, uh, handful from Uganda, though Uganda is not really active anymore, but um, I love it. <laughs> I actually have a good number of waiting kids right now in Sierra Leone, though, um, and so if you're listening <laughs> and you want a crazy yes, yes. to say, <laughs> <laughs> you want to say you're a crazy yes, then please contact me. Um, but truly, I mean, there's amazing kids. I think people are so often intimidated by the idea of bringing home an older kiddo um, when in reality, that is so fun and awesome. Um, kids at every age are going to struggle with attachment. Kids at every age um, have come with their own backstory. And I think we trick ourselves into thinking it's easier with babies when in reality it's not. It's mm-hmm. not easier. Um, and Parenting kids- is hard regardless of <laughs> yes. biological, adopted, fill in the blank. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, you know, with older kids, you get this benefit of they can verbalize their thinking, um, and you can talk through a lot of hard stuff. Um, and they're just really cool. They're becoming their own people. And it's awesome that you get this opportunity to welcome in this amazing little person into your family. And, um, you know, I think about, I tell people about my kids all the time. Like, they're like, is it so scary to parent teenagers? I'm like, no, <laughs> they're these really cool people that I would want to be friends with, even if they weren't my kids, you know, and it's just really fun to get to parent them and disciple them at this crucial age in their life. <laughs> so um, I'm always looking for families who are open to that. Um, and I can speak from a lot of experience and walk with you and hold your hand through all of it. I love it. I love it. Um, We've, you've kind of already answered this question in a way, but um, if someone's just starting what I call their justice journey, so God is just starting to stir their heart towards all of these things, whether it be global orphan care, 
family preservation adoption. Um, aside from say yes to crazy things, <laughs> do you have some other things you would recommend? Uh, advice, resources, things that helped you kind of take the first step and uh, begin the journey? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that I would say, look at what your passion is. God's given us each unique passions because he's going to use us for lots of different things. That's how the kingdom works, mm-hmm. right? Is that we're all filling in these different bricks. Um, but figure out what your passion is that God has gifted you with. But then instead of just jumping in off of that, um, which because our passions are often driven by our own desires and emotions, um, even if they're God given, um, take that, take that passion and then examine it against God's heart and really start to flesh out how does this look and how can I most represent the real heart of God? Um, so when I think about adoption, I think, you know, when I first started, I came into it with my own desire. Like, I just, I just want to be a mom. I want this. I want that. And God definitely gave me that passion for growing my family that way. But I had to put pause on my own, you know, self-driven desires and start to really dig into like, what does this look like um, from God's perspective? And I read a lot. Um, Stephen jokes about the library that I created of um, understanding adoption, um, understanding family preservation, and really preparing because passion is one thing, but our kids deserve for us to be educated and actually prepared um, to parent the hard stuff. And so um, put in the work to develop your passion into something that is reflective of God's heart and educated before you just jump in and get to work. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe we can put some like in the show notes, some books or things you recommend. If you have a library, you can (laughs) offer up a few as a suggestion. (laughs) Great. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit like how people can find you or the Frank website, um, ways that people can reach out if they have questions or other things they want to ask? Yeah. So we're actually, like I said, we're a super small nonprofit at Frank. And so we're in the process of updating our website. So if you look at it right now, and I know that it's super reflective of... (laughs) what we're doing um, today. But you can look us up at frankadopt.org um, or you can email me at allison.sandridge at frankadopt.org. Um, also, you can find me on Instagram. I write a lot about adoption there when I'm not just chasing around children. Um, and I'm Allison Sandridge there. Um, so yeah, you can. I would totally love to connect with you um, about my own story and how I can just help you or with adoption, if that's your desire. Great. Well, thank you so much for, I think you've given us some good things to think about and your yeses have, have paid off. You're living the, uh, the life now (laughs) that you, God put in your heart years ago that you would live. Thanks for having me. Check out our show notes at 127worldwide.org forward slash simply 127 podcast. And tune in next time to learn how others tangibly live out James 127 every day.